Our scripture reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and those tabernacling in them. No, wait, that's 12-12. That's Let's try this again. First chapter. New mouth. We'll try this. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their souls unto death. sermon I ever did for you because I'm going to sit down with these two. You can laugh. It's okay. Um, I believe John's going to go first. Out in the hallway, I asked him, John, are you going to go first? And he said, oh, that was today? So we'll, we'll never know what we're going to get from John here, but uh, I'm sure it'll be uh, very, very enlightening. I'm going to tell their stories and um, their testimony important for each of us to have a testimony and to let other people know, but I think we'll uh, enjoy and be uplifted by what we hear today. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, as Edna and John have volunteered to come here and um, tell us their story of their relationship and their experience with you, we ask that you would bless them and all that they say, and may we be blessed and, and lifted up as we listen joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's all yours, John. Happy Sabbath. What a beautiful day. The sun's out, the birds are chirping, my dog woke me up early. What couldn't be better? Now, I believe we live stream our services here, right? So that means I'm coming to your living room legally. Uh, don't adjust your sets. Jesus has blessed my, I am this good looking. Uh, my name is John Beaner. It is spelled the same as that guy that was in Congress, but we're not related, so that's that. So you, Steve asked if there were some of us that would give testimony of what Jesus has done for us. I can't think of too many things. But uh, let me ask this question. How many of you out there have a father. Not everybody's raising their hand. Huh. Have had or have or have had a father. How many in this room here can say they have two fathers? Now I hope God is one of them. He is our father, right? Okay, how many of us have three fathers here? You have three fathers? Huh, I thought maybe I was one of the only ones. Well, in the early 60s, Ken came home and gave June papers to adopt a child. They were in their late 30s. They weren't able to have children of their own. So that's kind of a blessing in itself, I guess. Um, in the early 60s also, there was a woman named Helen whose husband had passed away, and she gave birth to her fourth child. She wasn't very wealthy and didn't want the family to have to suffer, so she gave up that child for adoption. 
Well, on March 3rd, this young, good-looking child was born to this world in Nashua, New Hampshire. And soon later, Ken and June uh, took delivery of this wonderful, bouncing baby child, who was only seven pounds, four ounces when born, which isn't much different from what I stand for you in front of you today. I am in shape. God has made round a shape. Um, so there, I've had one father who provided life to me. I had another one who gave me a life and another one who gave me a home and a loving family. I'm very blessed to have had um, my father in my life who passed away in 2007 of cancer. Um, when he was diagnosed with cancer, he was given a 10% chance to live. The doctor says, you know, this stage four esophageal cancer, um, didn't expect to see him next year. Well, they, they left, they, every winter they, they left from Maine to, to travel about the nation and into Mexico. And he started his chemo and radiation. Before they left for Mexico that year, he asked the doctors after his fourth chemo, he was supposed to have five, he says, I, I want to know where we stand. He says, I don't usually do that until until all the chemo's done. He says, well, I just kind of want to know before we take off for the winter. So they, they did the test, and he says, um, it's amazing. I, I don't believe it. Um, there's no trace of cancer. You're in remission. But they continued with the radiation and throughout had to have his throat stretched many times in order to swallow and breathe. Um, he went into remission for about 14 months, and then the cancer came back again. That's a long story, and, and he survived another four, he survived for four years with cancer until he passed away in um, January of 2007. So there's that. Um, God hasn't done much for me since. No, I don't, no. He's, see anything so far? Anybody? I don't know. I guess so. In 1968, I was six years old, on my way home for, for some odd reason on my little bicycle. In Lebanon, New Hampshire, in front of the high school, I guess me, my little bicycle, and a one-ton farm truck met head-on. That's probably what I said. I don't know. Thank you for that. Um, I was hit, thrown 15 feet, and suffered three cardiac arrests on the way to the hospital. I had a uh, compound fracture of my right leg, and the left side of my skull was crushed. But I survived. I guess God's working in my life still. Uh, my parents um, went to a congregational church all through growing up, and I kind of stuck with it, and, and um, somehow I ended up here. Which isn't the Congregational Church, but um, I was set up on a blind date. <laughs> blind dates, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. Wasn't you? No, no. 
And the mother of this woman, um, who I was to meet, says, yeah, you can meet him. You don't have to marry a guy. Um, well, I don't know. She must have bumped her head or something because we did get married, and it's been, uh, uh, what, 30, 31 years or so? Yeah. And uh, God must have blessed me because any woman that could put up with my shenanigans must be a saint, something I don't know. I've been blessed with two wonderful children. Uh, one of them's here today, yes, and uh, my son, well, he's somewhere. He's, they still live at home with us, God bless America. They're able to, and like Donald Trump says, let's keep America great. You know? Keep the kids in my life, they're, they're blessings. Um, so God works in my life. I've been in many accidents and survived. Uh, we've had a couple collisions with the car where it's been totaled, made it through that, broke my back in 2005 while I was um, chaperoning a, a skiing trip with the uh, Belmont Middle School. And me and my son decided, well, let's try these things called snow bikes, which is a cross between a BMX bicycle and a snowboard. Uh, we were having fun with him, and Adam says to me, and he says, Dad, I, we've had enough. And I says, no, come on, I'm getting good at this. One more round, one more round down the mountain. And I was getting pretty proficient at it, you know, and going nice. I got going pretty good at the end. Well, I don't know, this little snake in the snow must have come up and grabbed my ski because it flipped me, and I broke my back. Um, didn't have to have surgery, so I'm blessed again. Um... I've had the same job now for over 35 years, maybe because nobody else will put up with me, I'm not sure. But God has worked in my life a lot. But I have fought him nail and tooth along the way. I'm kind of a stubborn guy. Yes, I could admit that in front of you. I'm kind of stubborn at times. Uh, my early walk, when I first got introduced to the Seventh-day Adventists uh, through my wife, I wasn't sure what to think. You know, I was just used to being kind of free and wild and whatever, and uh, kind of you know, a little strict at times. We had this pastor named Pastor Dennis Campbell, and he approached me a few times, so when do you think you become a member? I, said, I don't know. I helped him build the Concord Church, uh, the foundation mostly. I'd get down there, uh, I'd work second shift for the state, and then I go down there in the morning and, and help out there. And I showed up one morning and he says, oh, have I got a job for you. I didn't like his laugh. <laughs> he pulls a jackhammer out of his van and says, I, I kind of over poured a, a footing here a little too high. So I need a, a trench cut into it so the, the walls will be set the right height. So for most of the morning, I ran a jackhammer. And, um, you know, it, it, was, it was quite fun. But we had great times down there. There were some members down there helping set up the concrete forms that would run circles around me. And this one guy gave up to me. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. But he says, not too bad for a 75-year-old. And I go, <laughs> yeah, sure. And he pulled out his license and showed me. And I was just dumbfounded. Wow. I guess God works in mysterious ways. Well, in the early... my experiences and walk with Christ and so I haven't sung it in a long time. Sometimes I don't remember things too well as my kids often tell me that I've already 
Sit here and think alone How much Jesus he died for me And I wonder how he must have felt And I wonder, did he cry for me? Tried to give up the ways of the world, but they keep coming back to me. And if I could put Jesus in my life, I could live my whole life for Him eternally. I couldn't try for Him, tried to hide from Him. Since I was a very young man, I knew about the changes in me. I knew about life and how I began. I thought I could live my whole life just for me. Back in the early 90s, uh, Melissa came to me and told me she was pregnant with our second child. My job was closing. I was getting a little depressed. I started to see a depression counselor, and he gave me a book to read. 
and one of the last chapters was on spirituality. Well, I'd been coming to this church for close to seven years, and it all of a sudden hit me. I can't do this on my own any longer. I knelt down by my bedside that night, and I said, Lord, take away my pains, my worries, my anxieties, and give me trust in you. And it was like night and day. This weight was lifted. I didn't tell Melissa about it. I told the pastor at the time, I think it was Pastor Kelly we had, that I'm ready to be baptized. And I said, but I'd like it to be Dennis Campa. And like I said, it was seven years. I don't know if that's got anything to do with Seventh-day Adventist, seven years. But I remember Dennis standing in the baptismal with me back there, and I said, I didn't think this day would ever come. And he says, I knew it would. God works in mysterious ways. Not always when we want it, it's when he wants it. That's about all I have to say. Like I said, I'm not sure he's worked in my life at all, but you know, that's up to you. Well, you know, John's a hard act to follow, but that was not an act. That was John's heart that he was sharing with us. Thank you. And um, I've lived a rather different life than that. I was the youngest of four children. I was born in Washington, D.C., and when I was two, my parents lived um, outside of Washington near Andrews Air Force Base, and my mother's younger sister also had a house in the same area, and a plane crashed into, well, actually, if they had been, if my aunt and uncle and the two children had been in the house, they would have lived. They were at the pig pen, and the plane crashed into the pig pen, and it wiped out the whole family. And so a year, within a year, my parents moved to Pennsylvania near Gettysburg. So I grew up not in the Washington, D.C. area, which I think I'm very thankful for. We had a big farm and lots of space to run and roam. Those of you who have known me for the last 10 years, would you say I'm, um, I'm independent? Yeah. I grew up on this farm, and I was raised by parents who had gone through the Depression, and they taught me to use whatever was at hand. And I was taught that I can do anything. Any of you relate to that? I learned that if I could read a book, books tell you anything. And it's kind of like the Internet today. You, you can learn anything on the Internet. Well, I learned that from books, and so I would get a book out of the library and read it and learn how to do this or that or the other thing, and I was always making something. And I'll tell you, it's difficult for an independent person to be a true Christian, because I know I was used to doing what I believed was right and doing it my way. <laughs> um, 
through the years, I've learned, let's see, my first car was a, a Rambler American, it was green, and when I got the car, my father taught me how to change the wheel and how to change the oil. Well, within a few months, something was going on with the gas line, and my brother, sent, who had provided the car, sent me a carburetor. And he said, just switch that for the one that's in there. You, just, you should be fine. So my dad was helping me with this, but I looked at the two side by side, and they were not the same. It was like, it was not apples and apples, okay? Two different things. And so I talked to my dad, and my dad showed me how to rebuild the old carburetor using the parts from the new one. And for young people today, you don't even know what a carburetor is, right? Right. That was, that was before fuel injection. So I, I learned how to do that. My dad taught me how to run. Okay, I started to learn to drive on a Volkswagen Beetle. My dad had a dump truck, so I had to learn how to drive that one too. And he had a bulldozer, so he taught me how to raise, use that too. Okay. Um, I've never driven a semi, but I have a sister that does. Okay. So we were, we were taught that we could do anything. I, I know how to bleed the lines on the furnace and restart my furnace. I also know that I can burn diesel fuel in that furnace, so I can go out and spend however much for five gallons of diesel fuel and not spend $100 to have the fuel guy come and restart the furnace and deliver fuel, not spend that extra money for that emergency call. I know lots of ways to save money on not spending it. Um, so these, this is the way I have lived my life. But being independent doesn't really work with being a Christian. Which means that God's had to put me in some very uncomfortable positions. I've had to be put in places where I could not do it. I would find myself in a position where there was nothing that I could do. And that it's really uncomfortable, but it leads me to the place where I say, okay, God, I can't, but I know that you can. When I was in college, I was dating a guy, and I thought I loved him dearly. And after that year, he went to Montreal to med school, and he was in med school. So that's fine, but I stayed at Southern College and kept going to school, and we wrote letters back and forth, and we talked and stuff, and I was convinced that I was going to marry a doctor. <laughs> and in the spring of that year, at Friday evening vespers, the Lord brought to my mind that I was putting that guy before him, that this man was more important to me than God was. And I repented of that. And it was, it was not a, an easy thing. But I'll tell you this, the next day would have been horrible if I had not already given up that relationship. The next evening, Saturday evening, two of my friends, who I loved dearly and who I knew loved me, came to me and said, 
um, um, we, we have something to tell you, and it's kind of hard, and they looked really, really uncomfortable. And it's like, well, what is it? Um, yeah, you know how Bob, you haven't been able to see Bob for months and stuff? Um, he's been flying to Atlanta and meeting another girl there. And I was like, what? If this is a joke, this is really sick. No, I went to the other girl's room and I saw the poster of them together. And I know the other girl. I didn't know the other girl. But if you want to know the measure of a friendship, a really true friend will give you the truth, no matter how much they know it hurts. And yet what I can say is, I had already let go. And it did not crush me in the way that I believe it would have if I was still clinging to that man. And if I had clung to that man with those tendencies, I don't even want to think what my life would be today. I, I don't even want to go there. And, and you know what? I wouldn't have met my husband, and we wouldn't have four beautiful daughters. <laughs> it would be a very different life. But I had to let go. I had to listen to what the Lord had to say to me and let go of the thing that I thought was most precious. Um, I met Lonnie, and we became friends. Actually, he kept dating other girls. He kept dating my friends. And so we got to know each other, and then they broke up. Some, one, he and somebody broke up, and then he and I started hanging around together. And I went somewhere on a, on a weekend without him and realized that I was, I was in deeper than I thought because everything that we saw down in Cade's Cove, down in the Smokies, it was like, oh, Lonnie would really enjoy this. Oh, I wish Lonnie was here for a whole day. And I realized then that I was in somewhat deeper than I had imagined. And I remember later on, um, somebody said that we just obviously looked like we belonged together. Have you ever had somebody tell you that? It looked like you belonged together? So after a couple of years, we got married. And I had finished school. He went back. He finished school. And we were living our lives. And things, but you know what? Things happen. We were living in Collegedale, in a little house out on McDonald Road. I was working, and he was working, and our oldest daughter was not quite a year old. And I had been working in Chattanooga that particular day. And Lonnie picked me up, and we're driving home. And as we're driving home, we could see smoke rising behind the mountain and it's like wow that's a lot of smoke wow and we keep driving and it's like wow that's that's over near our area and we drove up and it was our home that was on fire and it was made of like block walls and the walls were all pretty much that was still sanding when we got there the fire marshal from college Dale came he says we we did everything that we could, but there wasn't, you know, it was apparently so involved by the time 
that they got there that they couldn't do much. So we had each other and we had our truck, but all of the stuff was gone. And I'll tell you, it's a whole lot easier to live life without stuff than it is to live without people. The three of us were not touched by the fire as far as physically goes. And so we picked up our, yeah, picked up the odds and ends. And within a month, we discovered that my job was disappearing. And I was offered a job in Atlanta, which meant that we moved. And I'll tell you what, it was a whole lot easier to make that move with our pickup truck at that point than it would have been before. Because we had a house and we had a, a house full of stuff. I, okay, we didn't have living room furniture, so I stole the living room and it was my sewing room. Just, okay. So actually it was the fabric that I lost that I was never able to replace. And the first quilt that I ever made, that was gone too. Okay. But moving was much simpler. And then we moved from Atlanta to Maine and then back to Pennsylvania. We had stress in our lives. But God was with us always. And God led us. Um, do any of you ever deal with fear? Anybody here ever been fearful? Some of you know that my husband spent time in prison. And within that first week that he was in prison, I was obviously home with the girls. And I woke up in the middle of the night so afraid. And it was, it was like closing in on me, almost like a physical thing. I could feel this fear. And I, I, you know, checked the girls. They were okay. The house was okay. The only thing that occurred to me was that Lonnie must be in, must have some issue or something. And I prayed. I prayed for hours that night until the fear was gone and I had peace. And when you're in fear, go to the Lord. Because there's nothing like the peace that comes from him. I found out later that they had given him a cellmate who was a, um, a lifer for, I think it was murder. And he had nothing to lose. And he was spending that night threatening Lonnie. So we were, I contacted, once Lonnie told me, I contacted the authorities and he got a new cellmate. But I, I have never experienced fear like that before nor after, actually. But when you fear, go to the Lord. When you are in need of anything, anybody here need a friend? Ask the Lord for a friend. There is somebody out there who needs you as much as you might need them. I talked about stuff and how it, you know, stuff, yeah. Stuff can take over our lives. But 
sometimes we need things like food or a vehicle. And <laughs> one time, my brother, my brother spent time in Somalia. Actually, after he left Somalia, it became a really not nice place to be. He also spent time in Yemen and Af now wait. No, he was in Pakistan. He wasn't in Afghanistan. But he had been, it seemed like for several years, he was someplace and then it became a hot spot after he left. He was also in Bosnia. They airlifted him out of Mostar. And so he's been around the world a lot. And he came back from overseas the first time and he's listening to some of the things that have happened and that I've dealt with. And he said, I went overseas and I knew that the Lord takes care of fools. Now, he says, the Lord takes care of fools and Edna. I needed Van. Um, I had four daughters who were, I guess the youngest was 10 at the time. And we, you know, there was always stuff to carry somewhere and there were often friends to go with us. And the Lord provided a van within the $5,000 that I had, and we had a van. Eventually, vans die. That van died. And my brother has an RV dealership, and I told him the van died, and I've got this little car, and the girls barely fit in it. And he said, come on down. He had a Chevy Astro van that had the captain's seats in it, and it could be used as a camper, the back seat that folded down with the windows and the air conditioning and the tinted and the shades and everything. And I sold the van that had died to one of his mechanics who then fixed it and ran it. And for $5,000, I was able to get this new van. It wasn't, well, it was used. But we drove that for five or six years or something like that. And it was a very comfortable vehicle. It was good for traveling. I couldn't have found that on my own. It was something that God provided. And he just keeps on providing. While Lonnie was in prison, we were living in Antrim. And I was working in Nashua. And I had a little Ford Escort. And the brakes went while I was at work. Now. Being my father's daughter, I knew things about how to gear shift down, to slow down for stop signs, and how to yank that emergency brake so that you didn't hit the car in front of you. And so I got back to Antrim, but, and I, I had no clue how I was going to pay for that. We could pay our rent, I had the money for gas, but brakes, where were brakes gonna come from? I got home, Mara was there, and she brought me the mail. There was an envelope in the mail that had gone to where we lived before in Greenville. So it had gone actually from California, where it was sent, to Greenville, where we used to live, and then sent to Antrim. There was a check in there from some family members who sent me $250. Guess how much it cost to get those brakes fixed? If it had come two days before, 
I would have spent it on something else. For daughters, there's always somebody that needs shoes. There's always, a, you know, there's always work that can be done on an old car. It came at exactly the moment I needed it. I sat down and started crying, and my daughter comes and she says, Mom, what's wrong? And I says, there's nothing wrong. <laughs> there is nothing wrong. God is in his heaven, and he's taking care. And his timing is totally perfect. Sometimes, you know, we want things, or we, we want things to happen. We want people to do this or people to do that. We need it. We think we need a new car. He provides exactly at the right time. Exactly. So while most of you who know me, when I asked if you thought I was independent, there was heads nodding. I have learned to cling. I cling to the Lord. All right? When I was praying because I was afraid, I clung to the Lord. Like, like Jacob, who clung to the, to the Lord and would not let go until he was blessed. And that is my advice to you. Cling to the Lord. I know we're Americans and we can do it ourselves. But we can't. There are things that we can't do. And when we realize that, when we realize our helplessness and that we have a God who can. The song says he is able, and he is. He's totally able to do above and beyond anything that we could think or ask. He can do, and he, he's willing, and he's just waiting for us to ask him. Sometimes, sometimes money's tight. I have been on a moratorium of buying fabric several times. I am at the moment. This year, I have bought fabric twice, but they were never for me, okay? Uh, the most recent one was binding for somebody else's quilt. But I haven't been buying fabric. But I want you to know, okay, I love to quilt. Anybody? You guys do that, right? You'll, okay. So I have personally, personally I have probably enough fabric that would take up the space of this podium twice, okay? Some of that's fabric for clothes, some of it's fabric for quilts, but at least that much. But for bags of love, we get donations, all right, for bags of love. This platform, okay, at least waist deep. Okay? Thousands of dollars worth of fabric that has been donated in ways that I can't imagine. If you put it to the Lord and you're faithful with him, he is more than faithful. He's faithful in ways that we humans can't even imagine. So, whatever your issue is. And we all have them. Okay? I see some young ladies. Maybe they want a Christian mate. Give it to God. Let him choose. 
because he knows things you don't know. I seem to remember Pastor Cliff talking about that one time. You need a house or you need housing. Give it to the Lord. You need a car. Maybe you need to go to, maybe you have a burden to be a doctor and you need to go to school. Give it to God. He has resources that we can't imagine and he can supply all of our needs, whatever it is, and he loves to do it. Frankly, I think that he's laughing. You know, he'll, another garbage bag full of fabric, and I think he's laughing. He's, I wonder what she's going to do with this. <laughs> so whatever it is in your lives, there's things each of us need something. We're, we are not self-sufficient. So give it all to God and cling. Learn to be a clinging vine because with God, that's a wonderful thing. He wants that closeness with us. So cling. All right. Our closing song is number 213. But the bulletin says I'm supposed to do the benediction first. So yeah, it says benediction and then closing song. That's the way the bet, that's what it says. So this is from the book of Jude, starting with verse 24. Now unto him that is able to guard you from stumbling and to set you before the presence of his glory without blemish in exceeding joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Our closing song is number 213.
gracious Lord for this beautiful day and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.